picked that banjo music? Sounds like we're in the Civil War era. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm back in Morgantown, West Virginia <laughs> at college again. Welcome, folks, to the first episode in the world premiere of the new Antietam and Beyond podcast, brought to you by Civil War Trails. I'm Tom McMillan with my co-host, John Banks, esteemed Civil War author and Civil War social media star. Uh, John and I uh, have become friends actually only in the last couple of months we're kind of brothers like from a different mother we we've we're both from pittsburgh we we've loved civil war for a long time for a long time we've come together we both have specifically a love of the battle of antietam and the maryland campaign and a few weeks ago we just got this crazy idea that you know there are lots of podcasts in the civil war there are lots of podcasts on gettysburg there isn't anything on antietam there's a lot of informa information out there i called john and said what do you think and a few weeks later here we are john Let's do it. Let's get rolling, man. Come on. We we are we are doing it. I was I was just on an Antietam today, and and it's it's almost we want to talk a little bit about why we picked Antietam. Why there are other topics you could do. I mean, it's obviously near and dear to our hearts. But you want to talk a little bit about what it means to you? For me, Tom, the place keeps calling me, and there's a uh, there's a battlefield tramper of the the 1920s, early 30s, Fred Wilder Cross who fell in love with Antietam, visited the battlefield in South Mountain scores of times, took amazing sets of images there. And he, and I'm paraphrasing, said something to the effect that this place is so beautiful and so horrible in many ways too, obviously. It kept calling him back. So no matter where I've lived, whether it's Texas or Connecticut, or now in Nashville, Tennessee, I find the place calling me back. And I feel the same way. I'm in Gettysburg now. My wife, my wife and I are spending part of our time uh, here in Gettysburg, as well as our other home in Pittsburgh. And I think both of us are the same way. As Pennsylvania kids, we grew up with the Battle of Gettysburg. I mean, it's a rite of passage when you grow up in Pennsylvania. At some point before you're 10 years old, your parents are throwing you in the car and taking you up to the Battle of Gettysburg. Fell in love with that immediately. But there's just there's just something about Antietam that's different that draws me as well. It's so pristine. And and part of it, I guess it, it, it annoys me that it's under publicized, undervalued. It's always in, you know, in, in the secondary list of values uh, of, of battles. And it was really important. It has a lot of meaning, had a lot of meaning then and a lot of meaning today. And I think there are a lot of things that John and I have learned and certainly that our guests that we're going to line up, some of the best guests you can imagine uh, on the Battle of Antietam and Maryland campaign and, and extended civil war. Uh, so I think this can be an educational process for both John and I, because we still learn every day uh, as, as well as you. And that that's one of the things I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to tell this Antietam story, maybe to a group of civil war uh, students who haven't looked at it that much. I know uh, volunteering again at Antietam today, uh, there are a lot of people who spend the weekend at Gettysburg and then they stop at Antietam on their way home for an hour. They have an hour and you don't get it. You know, you really don't have that chance to uh, teach them that much about the battle. So I think we can we can open it up to that kind of audience. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I want to make really clear here, Tom, is that I am not a left flank, right flank <laughs> person. I get lost strolling out of my house here, our house here in the morning here in Nashville. So you're not going to hear what regiment right obliqued at 3.16 p.m. in Miller's Cornfield, or not Miller's Cornfield, the, the, the 40-acre cornfield. You're not going to hear that. I think what you are going to hear from, from Tom and, and, and I are 
lots of human interest stories, lots of behind the scenes stuff that you may not get anywhere else. Micro history is what you're going to get from us. And uh, we're going to drive that home in addition to have guests on who are going to hopefully entertain and inform us. Yeah, we have a we have a long list of guests already. Actually, uh, emailed today with the great Scott Hartwig, who's going to be a, a very early guest on this show with his with his new book just out. Uh, a, a interesting fellow there too, because he was the known professional historian at Gettysburg, and he's written the epic work on the Battle of Antietam. And he was really his. Uh, I just heard him speak at the Antietam Institute Fall Conference uh, last weekend. Very enthusiastic about joining uh, the podcast, and I think we'll have him on several times. Among you know, with with distinguished authors and battlefield guides, many of whom are all already volunteering. But as John said, a lot of people who aren't necessarily guides or experts or authors, just people who know and love Antietam and maybe have some stories, definitely have some stories that you haven't heard. Personal interest stories, either from their descendants, their relatives, or or who knows what. I know you, you've run into a lot of those folks, John. Oh my goodness. I, I'm thinking of one right now. I can see him right now. The great Babe Ruth of storytellers, Richard Clem, 82 years old, lifelong Washington County resident, long time, Relic Hunter in, a, in the legal manner, a man who's near and dear to my heart, has amazing stories to tell. And Richard is absolutely, positively going to be a guest. We're going to have to teach him a little bit of the technology, Tom, but I'm very confident <laughs> that Richard, I've talked to him the other day, he will entertain you with all his amazing stories from the battlefield. And there, there will be lots of other folks like that. And John and I, on this first episode, we thought this is just going to be kind of us talking together, talking to you, introducing ourselves to you, tell you just a little bit about ourselves, because this is not going to be personality driven after this episode. But there are folks who may have heard of us a little bit, folks who don't know about us at all. We are two guys who grow up very close to one another in Pittsburgh, about 10, about 10 miles apart. Maybe I'm a little older than John. Our paths just amazingly never crossed. There was a point where I even hung out at a bar in the, the little town where John grew up, where he later was a bartender, but we missed. We both worked in professional sports media. I'm retired now. John still does. He was at the Dallas Morning News and ESPN. I was with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And somehow, amazingly, our paths never crossed. It, it's not until this Civil War connection. And we met via social media, basically. We only met in person a, a, a few months ago. And again, as I mentioned, kind of turned out to uh, uh, brothers from a different mother. We, 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 share that, we share that love of the Civil War and Antietam and telling stories. And John, I'll tell you this about, you know, people think, why, how are two sports guys, sports media guys talking about this? Just to divert a little bit, I had written my first book uh, on Flight 93, the September 11th flight that crashed in Somerset County, PA. There have only been two books written about Flight 93. Both were original sports writers. And somebody said, so I think that's because sports writers know how to tell stories. Absolutely. And that's that's really what we want to do. We, 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 we kind of characterize ourselves as storytellers. We'll let the guides and the authors and the experts get into that stuff. We know a fair amount, but we're going to learn as you learn. And we want to bring you along to different different kinds of stories. We'll share a few of those tonight, but that's what that's what really excites me. But I, I think we also, John, we want to get into why Antietam and why it's important and why people should be interested. That is great. Of course, it's the bloodiest day in American history, September 17th, 1862. Uh, roughly 3,300 killed, roughly the same 
number of soldiers died in the weeks and months after the battle. So just for that, it's an amazing story. And of course, it led to Lincoln's emancipation, the preliminary emancipation proclamation in Gettysburg, pivotal battle. But as you mentioned earlier, Tom, September 17th, 1862, undervalued as far as as far as we're concerned, you know, regarding people in the Civil War community. And just for the the human interest stories, Tom, I think are just so there's so many heartbreaking stories. And every time I go to Antietam, whether I, I drive near the East Woods or walk the final attack trail into the 40 acre cornfield, you know, some people see trees and rocks and and blue sky. I'm seeing stories. And I, that's what I, uh, we want to, to, to bring to the, to the listenership of the podcast. So, and, and as I go to, to battlefields and again, in Antietam today, I look at it and then try to imagine what it looked like back then, what, it, what it must've looked like. I was at the Burnside bridge today, whatever it looked like from each perspective of soldiers trying to come across that bridge or guys up on, on that Hill. And I think if you, those of us who love history, that's what we love being at places where the history happened. If Absolutely. There, there are people who don't. They say, do you just go, how can you keep going back? Do you just read the monuments? That would be boring. Well, if that's what you're, then you're not interested in the history. But those of us who do, we feel that. And you feel it so much there because it's such a pristine battlefield. It, it looks the way it did. Our, our friend, the guy Jim Buchanan says, there are lots of places on that battlefield where you can go and not see any hint of the 21st century and not many hints of the 20th century. You get in some in some valleys, and it's like this. You're seeing the land as the soldiers saw it, and I agree with you on the, just not just you know the importance of, of it militarily, but socially and morally. And we always talk about turning points. Everybody wants their battle to be a turning point. Scott Hartwig, and I think it was in his first book, he was talking about that. Everybody wants to identify their their specific battle as the turning point. You always hear that about Gettysburg. Uh, I had written a book on Gettysburg, and, and I argued with the publisher. They wanted the word turning point to be in the subtitle. And I didn't, because uh, I thought Civil War purists would scoff at it. Well, the publisher always wins, so it's in the, it's in the subtitle. But Gettysburg has been talked about that. Then Vicksburg, lots of places. There's no single battle that's the turning point. But Antietam was one of the handful of very key turning points because it changed the focus of the war. And I think you have to, a little nuance when you talk about it, but you have you have to emphasize that. And the new visitor center there, which just opened a few months ago, does a great job of telling that story. The previous visitor center, which was, you know, 50 years old or something like that, it, it had artifacts. This one really tells the story. I thought they did really did a brilliant job of that. Hey, Tom, the other reason that I'm drawn to Antietam is Bonnie's at the Redbird restaurant too, by the way, in Keatysville where I, one morning, true story, had breakfast with a retired CIA officer. And you can read that about a little bit about it in my book, A Civil War Road Trip of, Road a, trip lifetime. of a Lifetime. Insert plug here. But if, you, if you've gone to the battlefield and not enjoyed a breakfast at, at the Redbird, you're missing out. Country restaurant. Uh, Tom, I don't know how many times you've been there, but I love that place. We so. will throw in official, unofficial plugs all the time in this show, places that we like it. Next and, time, I'll, I'll be wearing a Bonnie's at the Redbird t-shirt. <laughs> I think that'll be great. We could get a little 
little maybe they'll name a piece of chocolate pie after us i think that would be great so and and my wife and i had dinner tonight at a place where we've had dinner with john at the press room at yes. which is the official unofficial uh restaurant of this podcast so and and we do have we're very fortunate uh to have gotten a sponsor before we even started this podcast our good friend drew gruber from civil war trails really jumped he's so excited to just they just put up yet another sign at antietam and we want to share, we don't want, Drew will be one of our guests as well as we move on. We want to just share our thanks to uh, to him and his outfit for uh, for giving us that support from the start. And for those of you who don't know about Civil War Trails, it's the world's largest open air museum offering over 1,500 sites across six states, including over two dozen stops along their Antietam campaign driving trail. Uh, you can request a free brochure to begin planning your trip at civilwartrails.org and when you do see a sign uh, a civil war trail sign they're ubiquitous they're all over be sure to snap a selfie post it to social media and you can follow civil war trails and create some own your own history and you can visit them at civilwartrails.org civilwartrails.org and it's a hashtag sign selfie he loves that i, I took one just about well, it must have been a week ago. I was at South Mountain. I saw a Civil War trail sign I hadn't seen before. Whenever I see one I haven't seen before, I always stop. And I know you have one. You have one loaded up. So we're, we're part of that too, Drew. We love the sign selfie stuff. Absolutely. Tom, I think we should get in to some human interest stories yeah. just to give yeah. the listeners a glance at, at some of what we're going to be covering. You have a great one that... I knew nothing about until you, relatively little about, until you shared the story about Henry Winters. Why don't you tell us that story? Okay, yeah, sure. It's uh, Henry Winters is like a lot of the tens of thousands of soldiers who fought at Antietam. We know very little about him. He's just a regular guy, was a farmer, signed up for the Army, served four years, went back to his life, didn't write very much about him. Most, you know, we, we hear about the battlefield heroes, the handful of heroes, the generals. We don't know very much about the regular foot soldiers. Why did I look into Henry Winters? Because there is, there is a windowsill in the back of the Dunker Church, one of the iconic places in the Civil War battlefield. When it was rebuilt for the 100th anniversary of the battle, they had collected some of the, the original pieces of the, the bricks and the wood and the windowsills from that, from that structure and they rebuilt it in, eight, in 1962. They have, according to the park records, six of the original windowsills. And on one in the back of the church now, if you walk around the back, is carved the name Henry Winters NY. Very neat, very deep, Henry Winters NY. And my wife and I often volunteer there, and we would send people around to the back, and visitors always, they love to see them. This is a place on the battlefield where we know this soldier was. He was right there. He carved his name. So we went to some of the park rangers. Who was he? They didn't know. Some of the battlefield guys, really knowledgeable battlefield guys, didn't know. Some of the very best ones knew he, well, they looked him up. He was in the 89th New York. That was it. They knew the regiment. We thought, we have to find out who the heck this guy was because he left, he left his mark on the battlefield. The message for us today, we can see that. So my wife, Colleen, and I started doing all sorts of research, went to the National Archives, went through papers. He was from upstate New York uh, and, and found everything we could about this guy. He did fight in the 89th New York over by the Burnside Bridge. He was in, in part of the final attack in, in Fairchild's unit. 
so it's almost like, why is his name on the Dunker Church? Because he fought completely on the other side of the field. We're only able to come up with a theory on this. As, as you know, the Union Army was was in that area for, for weeks after the battle. And some of it may have been in burial detail, but we've also found an interesting tidbit. His brother was also in that battle in the 27th New York in the 6th Corps who fought over near there. And we're wondering if the reason he carved his name it certainly wasn't during the battle. It's too, it's too neat. He took too much time to do it. Was he trying to signal to his brother that he had made it? He was looking and they both did survive. But, you know, with with the tens of thousands of soldiers that were that were there moving around, you, he might not have known, been able to find that. So he never wrote about it. He didn't think it was it was anything spectacular that we, we could find. We found a little bit of, of, of his writing after the war, never mentioned this, never went back for a reunion. So there's a lot of mystery still there. But Jim Buchanan, the guy, gave us a great quote about, you know, you'll read about McClellan and Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, all these other guys, books about them. There will never be a book about Henry Winters, but he represents more the fighting man who fought in Antietam than any of those guys. And, and so we just brought it. You know, we didn't do his whole story. And it's not dramatic other than the fact that he did this. And now his story is out there. And it's almost like he might have done it for his brother, but he did it so we can remember his name. And so if you're the next time you're at Antietam, go to the back of the Dunker Church and you will see Henry Winters NY. And now you know a little bit about his story. I wrote a story about it, my wife and I, for uh, the latest edition of the Antietam Journal, uh, which is a publication of the Antietam Institute. It was it was a fun research project. And again, it's the kind of thing we want to do for this podcast. We're learning every day, every little bit. And now really proud that a lot of battlefield guys are now using this story with these little tidbits on Henry's life. Oh, I love that stuff. Before I get to little snippets of two of my favorite stories. I have to ask you this, Tom. What is your favorite spot on the battlefield? Burnside Bridge. Wow. It's, there are lots of tie for second. The bridge just speaks to me. When, I, when you volunteer down there, part of the, part of the uh, volunteer ambassador program, you can pretty much go where you want. They need help. So you can pick your spot. And I've done the Dunker Church. I've done the Westwoods. I've done the Cornfield. I've done the Second Road. But I go back again and again to the Burnside Bridge, uh, and, and and people just get there and they're mesmerized. The Dunker Church and the Burnside Bridge speak to me because they're structures that were there during the battle, and they were important to the soldiers because the rest of it is just farmland, and that's where they fought every battle on farmland. There, you know, there were houses and and barns. You remember those specific structures, and they remember the Dunker Church. And the bridge, which is still there, it's been repointed. They they, they fixed up, but it's the same bridge that that Burnside's men had to try to take that day. And and I, I volunteer both up top, looking down from the Confederate position, and below from the Union position. And it's just astounding. And, and people are mesmerized, and kids. And, and as far as the 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 human interest story down there is not of an individual; it's of a tree. You know, there are a number of witness trees on the battlefield, but there's one right next to the Burnside Bridge. It's the only one we have a photo of it because Alexander Gardner was there just a few days after the battle. He took a picture of the Burnside Bridge and this smaller sycamore tree is right there. And now here we are 161 years later and the Burnside Sycamore is still there. Tom, on my wall to my left, an original print from Gardner's sketchbook of Burnside Bridge. Just unbelievable. It, it, another thing to that point, John, we were talking about why Antietam is important. It was the first battle 
where there were photographers sent to the battlefield immediately afterwards. Americans had never seen the carnage, the body, the, the dead bodies they'd never seen. War was always glory and trumpets and flags. And now you see the real cost of war. But they also he also took photos of the battlefield and the battlefield structures. And again, that's why we the Dunker Church blew down with a storm in the early 1920s. But we know what it looked like because we have Alexander Gardner's picture. We know what the bridge looked like because of Ale Alexander Gardner's picture. So another very important uh, point of history with the Battle of Antietam. Excellent. Well, before I tell you about my favorite place, <laughs> we're going to have on this podcast, he doesn't know this yet, but we're going to have the Shadow King, Bob Kalaski, who is very deep into were these images that Gardner and James Gibson took in 1862, a fascinating character lives in Youngstown, Ohio, but he's great. How many, how many people you, do you think like, like Bob, they don't know they're going to be in the podcast yet, but they're going to it's be on it. Hundreds of thousands, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. hundreds of thousands. I got to give you my favorite place. Uh, yes, please do. My favorite place. And I'll have two little stories to tell here. The 40 acre cornfield, that place, draws me every time I'm there. You know, I lived in, we lived, me, uh, Mrs. B and I, my wife, my lovely wife, Mrs. B, and I lived in Connecticut for 13 years while I worked at ESPN. And while I was in Connecticut, I knew relatively little about the Connecticut service during the Civil War. Well, I dug in and the 16th Connecticut had its baptism of fire in the 40 acre cornfield and compared to the northern part of the field it's it's not as well visited as 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 the area around dunker church or miller's cornfield or or some of the other spots but i'm drawn to that place in in, in this field and it's not for those of you who have not been there it's an undulating cornfield just amazing topography. It's not like a flat cornfield in Iowa. The 16th Connecticut has a monument on the crest of a ridge in the cornfield. And this was their, uh, the 16th Connecticut's first battle of the Civil War. They had, they had uh, soldiers had enlisted in August 1862. They had not even fired their muskets. Uh, in the afternoon of September 17th, 1862, they were at the extreme left flank of the Union Army. They get routed by A.P. Hill's men, almost a, a Hollywood-like scene as they, they came uh, up the Harpers Ferry Road and, and routed uh, the 16th Connecticut among, among other soldiers. But I laser focused in on the 16th Connecticut during the time that we lived there. And there are two soldiers in that regiment who stand out to me. One is Newton Manross. He was a captain in Company K. Uh, from Bristol, where ESPN is located. He enlists in August 1862. Uh, he's all excited. He tells his wife, you can better have a country without a husband than a husband without a country. Very patriotic guy. Leads his man of Company K into the 40-acre cornfield. Ends up mortally wounded. Taken back to the Henry Rohrbach farm. He dies, just a beloved soldier in his regiment. Uh, everybody looked up to him. He was a, prior to the war, he was a, a professor, very learned man, a world traveler underneath the bed. In that, my room across the, across the way here in Banks Manor, I have several letters from 
from Newton Manros that are that are uh, that I treasure. Then there's another soldier. His name was Fellows Dixon Tucker. I think he was 18 or 19 years old. A private in the 16th Connecticut. What, what names of these guys? Huh? What names? I love it. I love. It. I, yeah, we're John and Tom. We <laughs> why couldn't we've been named Rufus and and <laughs> something else? But anyway, Fellows Dixon Tucker. Really cool story. You know, during my downtime, my very little downtime when I worked at ESPN, I used to go down to the Connecticut State Library and the Connecticut Historical Society. And in the Connecticut State Library, I found an image of Fellows Dixon Tucker. It was amazing. And I posted it to my blog and it was really cool. I got, a, I got an email several days later from uh, this woman who said, oh my gosh, it's so, it's so neat. That's my husband's great, great grandfather. I think it was great, 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 great grandfather. He had never seen a picture of him before. And I was like blown away. And I was given a talk that day, uh, later that weekend in Avon, Connecticut, where we lived. And I sent the woman a note. I said, why don't you come to my talk? I'd love to, to meet you. She goes, oh no, I can't do that. Uh, we live in Liverpool, England. And as it so <laughs> happened, Fellows Dixon Tucker, after the Battle of Antietam, Tom, uh, deserted, went all the way over to England and he, and he lived out his life in, in England, which was tells me two things. The power of social media is really pretty cool. And uh, it's an amazing distance to to deserve. He just didn't go back home. He went across the pond. So those are two of my stories from the 40 acre cornfield. One more quickie. I visited the, the 40 acre cornfield dozens of times. Uh, one day, Tom, I was out there. It was a foggy morning. I thought I was there by myself. I had trudged out there. It was like 730. And I'm standing in front of the monument looking, you know, out on the, the horizon there. It was a gray, cloudy day, wintry day. And I turned to my left and all of a sudden I see this giant St. Bernard. It was like a scene out of Cujo that that dog had <laughs> laser focused on me. I thought I was going to become an, uh, an instant meal. And thankfully about a minute or two later, I see these, this couple trudging up to the 16th Connecticut monument. And they were the, the masters of that dog. And I, boy, I was sweating that day, Tom. It was ugly. It could have been ugly. So, but anyway, that, that place is truly special to me. Mrs. B, when I pass along to the, the Civil War battlefield in the sky, has been told to, and don't tell the National Park Service, Tom, hopefully they're not listening, but my ashes will be spread in the, 68, in the 40 acre cornfield. We won't tell anybody, John. Let's keep that quiet. Okay. <laughs> okay. There you but go. You can't, you can't get these stories anywhere else. These are the kinds of things that when John and I were talking in the last couple of weeks, we're going to tell these stories. In addition to having, as I mentioned, the esteemed guides and authors, uh, Scott Hartwig, Alex Rossino, Jim Rosebrock, Jim Buchanan, uh, Chris Vincent, Brad Godfrey, on, on down, uh, Laura Marfoot, on, on down the line. And I, I saw on your social media today, John, we had two authors volunteering to be, to already be uh, on the podcast. And it's kind of, so we're going to be able to mix it up. It, it isn't going to be a, 
we're not going to be able to predict this podcast. And I think, I think that's the way both of us fly. Where this is going to be, this, this one is free flow and it's going to be a little bit of free flow. Absolutely. And, and I would encourage Tom has quite a few followers on uh, his author's page. What, what, what page is that? It's, that's author Tom McMillan. Is that author correct? Tom McMillan on Facebook. Yes. Of course. And then there's John Banks' Civil War blog. You'll be able to find these podcasts uh, in addition to your favorite podcast venue, Spotify, Google, etc. cetera. Uh, we'll put these out on social media. We want this to be an interactive experience. If you have a story about an ancestor that's really compelling or you want to suggest a guest, please do via Tom's page on Facebook or, or via my page on Facebook too. Yeah, because we know enough people we can get to that person or get to someone who can get to that person because that's what we want to do. We, we Exactly, the interactive part is, is, is what we want. Uh, John and I are doing this for no reason other than it's a labor of love. Having a good time, we you know we might do it for a year, we might do it for thirty years. Who knows? You, you will decide that. But that that's kind of how we want to we want this podcast Antietam and beyond to develop. And the reason, folks, we have it, it's not just Antietam; it's Antietam and beyond. We did want to give our oh, clearly it'll be on South Mountain in the Maryland campaign as well. We wanted to give ourselves some flexibility though to extend the topics. If we're going to do a piece on George McClellan, it, it'll be mostly on Antietam, but not just in, you know, these guys didn't just fight at Antietam. If we do George McClellan or Ambrose Burnside or Stonewall Jackson or AP Hill or whomever, we're going to do that. And it gives us a little bit to tie in. I know both of us have a great interest in doing a little more tying in of Antietam and Gettysburg. Yes. And, and we may, and they, yes. And we may occasionally venture off the beaten path, I live in Nashville and I'm close to some other other places exactly. of civil exactly. war interest that we can always find an Antietam tie to the Battle of Franklin, which is yes. eight miles south of where Mrs. B and I live and Shiloh's two hours away and Chickamauga's the other way. And so, yeah, we're going to focus on Antietam, but we'll branch out as time allows and as we think it's doable. So there, yeah, there always will be an Antietam tie. And again, we're one of our early guests uh, is going to be Scott Hartwig. We'll get back in touch with him uh, uh, via email and phone and, and, and line him up. They'd be really exciting. Again, I just heard, as I mentioned, just heard uh, uh, Scott speak at the Antietam Institute's fall conference. And when you read a 900 page book, you have a lot of stories. And that was after a 700-page book on the prelude to the Battle of Antietam. So I think even with all the guys, I don't know that anybody has ever done more research on the Maryland campaign or the Battle of Antietam than Scott Hartwig. To have him on there, if you've never, if you've, I've been numerous tours. I don't want to say hundreds, but maybe close to hundreds of his tours at Gettysburg. He's just, he's an excellent speaker, an excellent guide, and he's done an amazing amount of research here. Well, I think we're, we're probably at the point now, Tom, where we can probably tie a bow on this for our first episode. What do you think? Yeah, we, we ran through it. We had, we had no agenda, as you probably can tell. Uh, but we wanted to just introduce ourselves this way because we're just two guys who love the Civil War. And that's what we want to do. We love the war, the studying of the war, love this campaign and this battle. And these are the kinds of things we're going to bring you. We look forward to your reaction and, and bringing you every episode after this, we'll have a guest. It won't be totally the guest. We're John and I will be telling stories as well, 
but we're we're excited and we hope you are as well and we look forward to, to doing this again we probably want to do this uh, john we'll have it posted but about every other week we'll post a podcast we want to get into a regular cycle there we'll have a day that we post it uh so you can you can follow us and uh and if you want to become regular fans that would be great awesome well this is going to be great tom i look forward to making this a interesting experience for our listeners as well as for us hopefully we're going to learn a lot from our guests and and uh make a go of this and we'd like to thank again our sponsor civil war trails go check out the the signs it's across uh across six states 1500 sites give it a whirl take a sign selfie and john bring up thank you my friend we'll talk to you soon bring up that banjo music that i love there we go tom (laughs) 